Well, I hope that many of you can make it over to the Student Center after our service here and hear more about Shepherd's College. You know, to be honest with you, I'm very, I, I take a lot of satisfaction as a member of our church and pastor of our church that we are involved in these types of gospel compassion ministries that really reflect the heart of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ had a special place in his heart for the marginalized, the least of these, and those who are so often forgotten or dismissed by society. And I think it reflects God's heart when we as a church get behind these types of ministries and partner with them. And the wonderful thing about Shepherd's College is that they are so gospel-driven. And uh, they were started by churches just like ours. It was started many years ago, and our church was a part of that uh, from way back. And, and I'm so glad that, you know, it makes me feel good that we have these kinds of ministries that we're a part of. And we want to pray this morning for Kevin and his family and for Shepherd's College. And we want to pray. I want to ask you to pray with me now uh, for many of our ministries, I think of uh, missions in our church, and we have our teenagers who are going to Alaska this summer on a mission trip. We have two young ladies in our church, Jenna Reinhout and Grace Brassel, who are going back to the Dominican Republic just in a few days to serve there this summer. And, you know, I think of the ministries in Romania that I mentioned earlier and the work they're doing with the refugees. So would you join me in praying for uh, the mission efforts of our church and our, you know, think of our budget that we're going to present on Wednesday and how much of it goes towards these very ministries that we're talking about. But we want to do more than just give. We want to pray and ask God for his help and his blessing. Let's bow together at this time right now. Our gracious Father God, we are thankful that you have a heart for people. We're thankful that in your mercy you reached out to us with the good news of the gospel. And now may we, as people of God, reflect the heart of God with the very same mercy and compassion that you have shown toward us. Father, we're thankful for a church that takes missions seriously in all of its facets. And we're thankful today for Shepherd's College and the wonderful work that they do. We pray your blessings upon them. We thank you for Kevin and his commitment and for his own family, and we pray for your continued grace over their lives. And dear God, we want to pray for all of the mission efforts of our church. We pray for the team going to Alaska. We pray for the girls going to the Dominican. Father, we pray for the work that's being done in Romania, even as we speak now, that people whose lives have been turned upside down, who have nothing but the clothes on their back, are being ministered to, in Jesus' name, in critical, with critical help when they need it most. And Father, we're thankful that we can be a part of this in a dark world where there are mass shootings and there are hate crimes and there, it seems like sometimes that evil is winning. Father, may we be reminded that your gospel triumphs and that may we be these lights that shine in a dark world through not only our testimony and our witness and our actions, but also through our giving. We pray, Father God, for these ministries that you would continue to bless them in a special way. And we ask you these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Psalm 127. And if, you, if it's easier for you, there's a black pew Bible there in the book rack. Hopefully there's one there. And you can just turn to page 713, and that's going to bring you to Psalm 127. And it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain or watches in vain. And he said, it's vain for you to rise up early or to sit up late or to eat the bread of sorrows because the Lord gives his beloved sleep. And then all of a sudden he says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. And so we're looking this over these weeks at God's blueprint for the home. And we said that unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And that word house is a broad word. It's not just talking about uh, your home and your family. As a matter of fact, this is a song of ascent. This is a song that the children of Israel would sing while they're walking up toward the temple. They would be walking the streets, headed towards the temple. The temple was one of the highest elevated buildings in ancient Jerusalem. So they would be walking up, looking up, singing as they go joyfully. You know, we sing joyfully in church. They sang joyfully like in the parking lot. (laughs) Literally, that's what these songs of ascent were. And, And when they were singing, unless the Lord builds the house, they were looking at God's house, the temple that Solomon had built in all of its glory and all of its splendor. And they were saying, you know what? God built that. In His goodness, in His providence, He allowed us to build that through our giving and our sacrifice, through our toil, through all of our effort. This is what God has done to God be the glory. And Solomon says, that's just like your life. You're building a life, but you know what? It's not you, it's God in you. You are, need to have dependence upon God for whatever you're going to accomplish in life. And so we're saying that God has a blueprint And God is the wise master builder. And on the first page of that blueprint is something large and expansive. It's your whole life. It's the foundation of it all. Every endeavor that you'll have in life. Unless God is an integral part of that, it's going to be in vain. So that's what he's saying. And and, and so this whole series is going to be broad. It's going to encompass not just your home and your family and facets of that. But it's going to encompass your whole life. So he says that, and then he turns the page, and he turns the, the, the set of plans, and he says, Behold, children. So he goes from this broad idea, and he, all of a sudden, he's looking at one corner of one foundation, and he says, behold. the word behold means uh, look. It's an exp- exclamation. Wow, look at this. Look at this, children. Children. So he takes us from all of life and he focuses it right on children. And do you know what? That's what we're going to do today. We're going to take this broad series that covers really all of your life and experiences and endeavors and we're going to talk about children. We're going to talk about what the text talks about the blessing of children and the value of children. And again, this is not just for parents. 
This is for every, all of the people of God. For all of us, we're going to see the value and the blessing of children. So let's look at this. Um, first, we see the blessing of children in verse 3. It says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. The word heritage means a special possession, a family legacy. A reward, when it says that they're also a reward, this is not a reward that, that you earn or that you won. It's not like an award. No, this is a benefit that is graciously given as a gift. So don't ever believe that perhaps if you've not been able to have children, don't ever think, and I, I mean, I think, you know, you can go to places where like somehow I don't have God's favor or I didn't win the prize or I wasn't good enough. Don't think that way. It's a reward that is, is graciously given. And we don't understand why sometimes it's not given. But it's certainly not earned or deserved. It's a gift of grace. But in God's blueprint for the home... Children are to be viewed as a blessing and as a gift to be treasured. Not, not an inconvenience, not an intrusion to be avoided. As sometimes society sends the very opposite message of what God's blueprint says, especially to young women. So don't underestimate all of us, young people, young ladies, all of us, don't underestimate the reward and the satisfaction that, will, that you can have with the experience of having children and raising children. You know, I, I'll never forget my... Um, I've shared this story bef- with you before, but I'm going to share it again. <laughs> Years ago, uh, my sister, my, I'm the youngest of three, and um, I remember my sister... When her and Paul got married, I think actually Kevin knows uh, my sister and, and brother-in-law because he went to Tennessee Temple as well. But anyway, when they, they got married, you know, my sister from high school, you know, she was always this like very academically inclined and, you know, like where is my ac- academics going to take me in a career and, you know, very, you know, thinking about that part of life, which there's nothing wrong with that part of life, but it's not the whole of life, right? And it may not be, a career may not be uh, the most important thing in your life that brings you the most satisfaction in your life. I would go so far as to say it won't be, but it, it can be a meaningful part of your life, hopefully. But my sister had that kind of view that this is the end all, right? So she got married and they didn't have children. She worked full time. And that they still didn't have children, and she worked full-time. And they still didn't. They were married for eight years before they decided to start a family. And, and that's obviously everyone's choice, right? But my point is, she had her first child, and I was there visiting with them. And by this time, Cameron was probably three, because we were getting out of her van, and we were um, put Cameron in the stroller, and we were walking across the parking lot, Target, probably, right? Or as all of you elites would say, Target, right? We were going into Target. <laughs> and I looked over at my sister and I said, Terry, so tell me, 
You know, I was just making conversation. I wasn't looking to go deep, right? But I just said, so tell me, Terry, I'm this single guy. You know, I, I don't have, you know, a lot of good sense yet in life. I was young. But I did say to her, I said, Terry, so how does it feel to be a mom? This is new for her, even though she'd been married. And she looked at me, and she said two things, and she did go a little deep. She said, well, number one, it's a lot more work than I ever thought it would be. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Then number two, she said, and she, she almost broke into tears when she said it, it's a lot more meaningful than I ever imagined it would be. And that's what God tells us. My friend, and, and, I, and I'm not telling some of you something you don't already know from a long time ago. One of the most meaningful, for most people, for most people, not everyone, but for most people, one of the most meaningful things you will ever do in this life is to have children and to raise them. It will be the most long-lasting relationship, one of the most closest Obviously, closest biological, but closest emotional relationships that you will have for most people. Now, um, and verse, verse 5 tells us why. Verse 5 tells us, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Now, a quiver of a soldier, uh, a quiver typically held five arrows, but I don't think I'm going into battle with just five arrows. I'm sorry. <laughs> you could put more. Maybe someone hold, maybe, uh, you know, there's different sizes of quivers uh, when we think of families. Maybe you have a quiver full and you only have two or three. Maybe your quiver holds six or seven. I don't know. But it's just saying that happy is the person that has their life full of children. Now, now, this was in the context of an agrarian culture. And some of you, you know, you grew up in a similar way where the more children you had, the more farmhands you had, right? That was kind of like part of the deal back in the day, right? And, and so, obviously, that's reflected here. But aside from that, the statement is still true. And... Um, and for them, it was a form of social security. It was, a, it was an important thing. And, and so, um, it's a sacred, honorable, valuable blessing. It's a joy. I'm getting so excited about this message. I'm going to talk to Sarah. Maybe we can have another child. You know? <laughs> That's not going to happen. You know, one of the... One of the sacred privileges of a pastor is that oftentimes people will come to you to consult or at least share some of their big decisions in life. And, and I remember a number of years ago, uh, a young man came to me and he sat down with me in my office and he said, you know, he, he wanted to present a decision that he and his wife were in the middle of making and he wanted to get my thoughts. And he said, you know, we're busy. we have two children, we're very busy, we have lots of activities, we're very involved in this, that, or the other, and we're wrestling with the idea of having more children. But we're not sure, having more children, how that's going to limit all of our involvement in all of these different things, and, and we're just wondering if we should 
what we should do about that. And I, they obviously made their own decision, but I did put in my two cents, and I just looked at them straight away. I didn't have to think about it long at all. I said, have the children. Have them. And the rest will fall into place. The rest will take care of itself. You have them. And, you know, I don't think it was my telling him that. They had two more girls, and every time I see them, I feel joy. I feel excitement. And, and those girls are so full of energy and excitement for life, and they're so dynamic. I can't imagine their family without them. I can't imagine a world where those two girls don't exist. Because children are a blessing. Happy is the one who has their quiver full of them. You know, this topic, and I, and I apologize, I guess, because this topic can be difficult because there are couples who are not able to have children of their own. And it's a great heartache. And obviously, we want to be sensitive to that. You know, the, the ironic thing, and it seems so unfair, that in this world, so many unmarried couples who don't want children have them. And while there are good, faithful, married couples that would like to have children but cannot, why is that? Why is it that God uh, takes a child in death and we're left with arms that are empty and a heart that is full of grief? These kinds of questions are mysteries that we cannot understand. But we know by faith that God's thoughts and His plans are, are higher than our limited understanding in this life. And, and we, right now, we see these things and we struggle with them and we see through a glass darkly in so many unanswered questions in all of life. But one day, we will see it all clearly and we will understand. And in the meantime... God does not ask us to understand. What he asks us to do is to trust him, to trust him. So whether you're a parent or not, we can and we should all be like God. We should all be like God in the sense of treasuring children and viewing them as a blessing, not a burden. You know, I, I think of... Um, <clears throat> Um, this idea of children being a burden, you, you know, this is part of what our society can push. And, and I remember, you know, growing up, I, going, going to school, you always heard about, um, um, you know, the overpopulation and the population explosion. And that was pushed as a way of saying, oh, you shouldn't have children. It's irresponsible to have large families because, your, um, you know, the, the world can't sustain all of this. And that, that whole idea was fed to people and fed to young people. And, and really, it's the complete opposite of what God says in his word, right? In Genesis, he said, God made them male and female, and he told them, uh, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That was God's plan. And now, all of these years later, after you know, an entire generation was pushed with this idea of overpopulation, now even secular sources are telling us that's not true, that was a myth, and right now we have to be concerned, and the world is getting concerned about 
not overpopulation, but about population collapse. And that in just a few, just another generation or so, there's going to be a dearth of people, and there's going to be a huge decline, and now that, they say that's going to be a huge problem, and we have to figure it out. I mean, a perfect example is China, right? China, the whole, my whole growing up, there, it was illegal. It was mandated by law that you could not have more than one child. One was all you could have. And if your wife got pregnant after one, then she had to forcibly have an abortion. Yeah, you, most of you are aware of this. This went on for dozens of years. And, 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 the, the, the most, and, and another diabolical element of that was that in, a, in society like China, most wanted a boy... And so they would, ab- they would abort until they had a boy. And now, uh, all of these years later, now China itself is reversing all of that because of the, in- the decline in population and concerns about population collapse. God's blueprint was there all the time if we're willing to follow his blueprint. I want you to see quickly next, I want you to see not just the blessing of children. You know, this was a a psalm. So let's look at the second verse of this psalm, a song. Do you want me to sing it? Do you guys want me to sing this verse? No? Okay, I won't do that to you. Verse 4. We're talking about children today. We're talking about the blessing of children. And now we're going to talk about the value of children. It says in verse 4, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And he goes on in verse 5 to say, They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So he says that like arrows are useful to a warrior, children are useful to the family, they're useful to the kingdom of God. And like arrows that a, that a warrior can skillfully send or launch or release to a defined target to win a victory, so we must strive to raise our children and point them in the right direction and release them to make their mark in the world to make their mark for good and for God. This is the, the job of a parent. This is the job of a church. This is the job of a society. And so we're, we're reminded of the importance of children and the value that, and the priority that they should be in our lives as we seek to encourage them and develop them and raise them. You know, one of the things about the warrior is that before he ever launched the arrow, before he ever put the arrow in his quiver, before he ever got that far, he would spend time shaping the arrow, making the arrow, honing the arrow, preparing it. He would have to make the arrow and make it straight to make it effective. And this is the role of of parents. And so we have to, and obviously that process 
would take a great deal of patience and skill, wouldn't it? It would be a lot of work. And of course, uh, parenting is a lot of work. You have this, you, you, you have this branch that you want to convert into an arrow. Maybe there's bumps in it. Maybe there's little crooks in it. And you have to straighten it all out. It reminds me of the verse in Proverbs, which is you know, a parenting verse, where it says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but correction will drive it far from them. And so uh, our children come to us, uh, they're a blessing, but they're a bent blessing, right? They're a little crooked, right? Thanks to Adam in the fall. And, and, and the, this is the really hard part, that they, those crooked arrows have to be raised, those crooked hearts of the children, they have to be raised and shaped by parents with crooked hearts. And, and sometimes the, the best thing we can do to raise our children well is to raise ourselves and to work on our own hearts. Very often, the, the, the weaknesses, the deficiencies that we see so strongly in our children, they're... they're we're just reflecting them from ourselves. We have those very same things. And, and that's why it bothers us so much. And, and, and so uh, we can correct our children, and we should. But do you know what else we need to do? We need to correct ourselves as well. And it takes patience. That's why, you know, there's, there's different kinds of correction that a child needs. It could be um, a rebuke. Proverbs talks about a rebuke. Proverbs talks about a strong rebuke. And sometimes you have to have the wisdom. Does this child need encouragement? You know, what do they need? And it takes the wisdom of Solomon, doesn't it? That's why Ephesians 6 says, Parents, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, right there in one verse is sandwiched two completely opposite ideas. But they're not really opposite. Because as parents, as human beings, we, go, we can go overboard in, in admonishing our children and correcting our children, and, and it becomes an unfair thing. It becomes an overly critical, overly harsh thing. And this little child, in their limited emotional capacity, they get, they get discouraged. They get uh, angry. They get resentful because their parents are provoking them to wrath through their overly harsh, insensitive, uh, not spirit-controlled manner of parenting. And so Ephesians 6 is a, is a warning. It's, a, it's an admonition. It's a word of wisdom to parents. Don't go overboard. Because you're actually going to hurt them more than you're helping them by provoking resentment in their hearts. How do you avoid that? Well, there's a couple of really easy ways. One is, as a parent, we need to know how to apologize to our children. Because you know what? You're not perfect. And, and, and if you can... And if you have... There's two things. You're going to handle it two ways. You're either going to, in your mind, say, oh yeah, I probably overdid it. 
but you're not going to admit it. You're not going to say anything. You're just going to let it ride. You know what? That child knows it. That child knows that you were wrong. They know how you made them feel, and it wasn't very parental. Or you can have faith in the grace of God, and you can be spiritually mature about it, and you can apologize. And so when a parent comes back to a child and says, you know what, what you did was wrong, but the way I handled it was wrong too, and I should not have done that. I'm sorry, I apologize. And whoop, you just grew a foot in their eyes because you were humble enough, you were big enough to admit your mistakes and failures and to humbly ask their forgiveness. And so they say, oh yeah, they are an honest person. Oh yeah, they are a fair person. And that's going to help not provoke them to wrath. It's not easy, is it? It takes wisdom, not just for parents, but for churches. This is for churches too. And this is why we, we uh, in our budget that we're about to approve, we have like this big line item children's minister, children's ministry director. Like, we think this is so important, we're going to pay someone to help a professional person that's gifted and trained in this area. They're going to come and they're going to help lead our whole church in ministering to our children. Because it is that important. They are that valuable. And the, uh, the, the work that we have to do is that important. And... You know, I, I think of that in Awana, Summer Blast, uh, the nursery, working with our teenage students. As a church, and, and you, many of you are involved in these ministries, and you have been in the past, and many of you still are, and what we are doing is we're trying to reflect the nature of God. That we, Because God values children, we want to value children. And that's not just giving our tithes and offerings to support a children's ministry, but it's giving of our time and our effort to be involved in children's ministry. Now, some of you, the best thing you could ever do for our children's ministry is to not be in it. Right? <laughs> you know, you got to know yourself here, okay? Some of you, uh, you haven't volunteered, and we're glad. <laughs> you know, you have a different set of gifts for a different area of ministry. And that's okay, too, right? I'll tell you, um, and this is why, it's not, I'm not just talking to parents. I'm talking to the people of God. I'm talking to the Church of Jesus Christ. We are to treasure and value children. You know, I, and I think of, you know, single people, uh, empty nesters. We can all value and cherish children. You know, I think of a couple in our church, and I asked them permission to even share this because it's very personal. But I think of a couple like Mike and Cindy Polson, who, as I mentioned earlier, it wasn't part of God's blueprint in their lives to have their own children biologically. But can you think of a couple in our entire church that cherishes and values and invests in children more than Mike and Cindy? There's not. I mean, they've dedicated years of their lives in my girls. And in many of your children. 
And I value the work that they have done. And you know, sometimes it's like um, God says, you know, my plan for you is not to have your own biological children. But you know what? I'm going to give you dozens and dozens and dozens of children. And how many, to now, adults, I mean, Cindy's been doing this for a long time. Don't tell her I said that. A really long time. And there's all kinds of married couples out there that she helped to shape their lives. What does this psalm teach us about God? You know, whenever you read a portion of Scripture, a good question to ask yourself as you read or study your Bible is, what does this verse or what does this passage teach me about God? And if we look at Psalm 127, I think two things really stand out. We talked about one last week, and that is like the providence of God. In this big blueprint of life, uh, depend upon God because He is present and He is active working in your life. And, and it'll go so much better for you if you trust in Him, if you have dependence upon God. We see that in verse 1. But here in verse 3 and 4, what we see, something else about what God is like is that God loves children. He values them. He is, he is pro-life. God is pro-life. He is pro-children. God is pro-humanity. And that's why we are glad to support a ministry like Shepherd's Home. Because God is pro-life, not just the unborn, but all expressions of human life. So this is something that, this is what God is like. And as a church... And as individuals, we want to reflect what God is like in our own lives. That's why Jesus said, he expressed this when he said, let the children come to me. Do you remember that story? And the disciples were like, no, you know, we're too busy. We're, we're busy doing adult things and, you know, building the kingdom of God and stuff like that. You know, really important buildings and blueprints that we've got here. And Jesus said, no, 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 wait a minute. What are you doing? They are a part of my blueprint. Let the children come to me. And that's the beautiful thing about the gospel. It is so clear and simple that a five-year-old, literally a five-year-old, I mean, obviously the Spirit of God working in their hearts, and obviously they've heard the gospel many times, but but. I mean, sure, there's people in this room, and you could stand up right now and give testimony that you trusted in Christ as your Savior at five years of age. Because it happens. A five-year-old can understand that eternal life is a, that we're all sinners, but that eternal life is a gift, and Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins, and that if I trust in Him, He will give me the gift of eternal life, and He will make me a part of His family. A five-year-old can understand. I didn't understand it until I was like nine, but I'm a little slow some days, right? Some of you weren't saved till you were like 27. What does that say about you? <laughs> I'm not just teasing. What's a practical takeaway from this message? If you're married, 
and you're young. It's, it's natural. It's normal to want children. There's nothing wrong. You don't have to apologize for wanting to uh, raise your family and to have a ch- children. For all of us here today, go home today. This is a good practical app. Go home today and call your children. Call your nieces or your nephews. Just check up on them. See how they're doing. Ask what's going on in their life. Call your grandchildren, whatever the case may be. Go home. You can go home today and care about your siblings and just value your little brother or your little sister and see them as a treasure from God on a good day, okay? On a good day. Not, not going to happen every day. There's practical things like you can do, like support Shepherd's, Shepherd's College or support a child through Compassion International or Freedom International. Do you know how many orphan children lost their sponsorship because of the pandemic? It's, it's astounding and it's sad. And it, I mean, it's circumstances, but I'm just saying the need is huge. You can help in our children's ministry or you can help in our security ministry, whatever the case may be. Send an offering to the Ukraine. Most, probably over half of the people coming across that border are children. There's all kinds of practical ways that we can do this. Let's bow together for prayer this morning. Would you bow with me? Father, I pray that each one of us, as, as the people of God, that we would reflect the heart of God in this important area of caring about children and treasuring children, seeing them as valuable and important to you 